Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you again for joining us, and I trust you're doing it every week at the same time. We've been sharing a series that I think is one of the most important pieces of work I've done for a while on Roadmap to Reformation. And uh, we have filmed probably over, I'd say, 12 or 14 programs already that we've aired where we have really begun to build this whole series. I don't know, I might end up writing a book about this because it's such a powerful teaching. But uh, as we built this, uh, this series, we've been talking about Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, who worked together in the restoration and rebuilding of the temple of God and the city of God when they returned from Babylonian captivity and the period of time that they were in captivity. What I've done in past segments is showed you how these patterns, if you will, from these Old Testament pictures of Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, had scripture that literally connected them to New Covenant truths and to the New Covenant. Because if you go back and especially watch the ones that I just recently taught a couple weeks ago on Zechariah, Zechariah, in the midst of being a contemporary or helping with Ezra and Nehemiah in the rebuilding of the city and of the temple, begins to prophesy concerning a greater fulfillment. And for several chapters, he begins to mention Messiah. And he starts talking about, for instance, he mentions about, uh, you know, that uh, uh, the capstone and the cornerstone would be laid and that they would lay it by shouting, Grace, Grace. He goes on further in the book of Zechariah and said, Behold, your king comes to you riding on a colt the fold of an ass. And then he talks about what is the price you will give me to buy me out of the covenant. And they weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver. And so there are several messianic prophecies that connect these pictures to a greater fulfillment that we find in the new covenant. I really trust that these things are helping you shift from an old covenant mentality to a new covenant mentality. And as we continue to look at the city, we're going, to con we're going to do a lot of study on the 12 gates. We showed you last week how they powerfully compare to the 12 gates of the city of Revelation chapter 21, and how that, that the city of Revelation 21 is not a place, it is a people. I, I don't have time to go back and review that every time I do this. I trust you've listened to some of the other videos. If you have not, this might be a good place for me to mention that everything we've aired to date is archived on our YouTube channel. It is also out there on our podcast and as an RSS feed for your Android. So you can go and watch or listen to that by simply going to my website in the upper right-hand corner. There are direct links to our channel. And you can go back and review anything you want to at your leisure. Now, I've already built to show you that the city of God, we're just going to make some blunt statements because I've already proven it, I think, in prior segments. The city of God is not a place, Revelation. It is a people. It is the bride, the Lamb's wife. It is the tabernacle of God that is with men. It is the community of faith. It is the new covenant city of God that Hebrews 12 says, for you have come to Mount Zion. You're not marching there. You've already come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the city 
of the living God to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn which is written in heaven. We are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. It's not an accident that when you get to the book of Revelation that in the foundation of this city are the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And so we, what we're building on today is the apostolic foundation that they laid and with the chief cornerstone being Jesus Christ. This cornerstone in this city is not Moses. This city is not built on the rock of the law. This city is built on the stone that the builders rejected. It is the new covenant community of faith, and we showed you out of Galatians 4 in prior segments, Galatians 4 says that these two women are two covenants. The latter part of the book of Revelation is a tale of two women, a harlot and a bride. One is being judged and the other is being married. And I showed you in Galatians chapter number 4 that the old covenant Jerusalem and the old covenant Israel was Mount Sinai in Arabia and is Hagar and genders to bondage. The new covenant, new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem which is above, who is our mother, Galatians 4 says, is the messianic kingdom of Christ and it is those who come like Isaac did through supernatural birth and he goes on to say in Galatians 4, cast out the bondwoman and her son. She will never be heir with the son of the free woman. There's only one way into the covenants of promise. There's only one way into the city of God, and that's through a gate of pearl. And I showed you last week that that pearly gate or that gate of pearl speaks of the pearl of great price, that Jesus purchased our salvation through his suffering and gave us access into this city which is also called the city of peace. It is also called, I showed you last week, that this Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the city of God, and it's righteousness, peace, and if you get righteousness, peace settled, you're going to get joy. But you're either moving into the city through a gate, where you're receiving righteousness, peace, and joy, and that's in the Holy Spirit. If you're entering into the city, you're entering into the kingdom, if you're outside the gates of the city, you're outside where there's weeping and wailing, gnashing of teeth, where there are dogs and whoremongers and whoever loves and makes a lie. I don't know about you, but I'd rather come into the city and there's a, there's a constant invitation. Revelation 22 ends by saying the spirit and the bride say, come. There's an invitation to come and let whoever's thirsty come. There's also a text in Revelation 21 that said her gates are never shut, day or night. So I'm telling you, you're included. Right now you can make a transition of where you're living. I'm getting way ahead of myself because we're going to talk about the valley gate first. It's the first gate that Nehemiah visited, but the valley gate led into the valley of Hinnom where we get our Greek word for hell at, and we'll talk a lot about that because there's a lot of different Greek words for hell but it was also the place where it was full of broken pottery. So if you're outside of the gates and you're living, walking through hell, it might be a good time right now to say, I'm going to make my exit. 
I'm going to enter in through the pearly gates into the city of God where I've got access right now to the tree of life, and I've got access to the fruit of this tree, and I've got access to the city of God. I can, I've got access to the water of life that will begin to wipe the tears from my eyes so that I can leave the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and go into the city of God where I can receive my righteousness, my peace, and my joy in the Holy Ghost. I believe outside the city, once again, is, uh, you know, is a place of darkness, and it's a place of no peace and no rest. People may have all kinds of wealth and all kinds of goods, but if they don't have peace, they live a miserable life. It is literally sometimes, you know, listen, there are realities. By me teaching this, that doesn't mean I don't believe there's a heaven after you die or a hell after you die. What I believe, though, is both of them are present realities on this side of the grave as well. I believe you can get, you can access the kingdom right now by being born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, Nick, you, your genie, your national, your natural genealogy, sir, is not enough. You must be born again. And the moment you receive this salvation that was purchased at the cost of his suffering is the moment you enter in through the gates of the city and you access the lamb who's in the midst of the city and the river that's in the midst of the city, and the tree that's in the midst of the city, and you enter right into the presence of God where your weeping will begin to stop. We're going to talk about these gates because as you enter into them, you are entering into the peace and the safety of that city. If you are coming out of it, then you are entering into the valley of Hinnom, and you are entering into, listen, there, there's no life outside the city. There's no life outside of Christ. If you're in Christ, that's where the peace is at. That's where the joy is at. That's where the right standing, the righteousness, which is a gift of God, is at. This city is a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. It is a people who have not lighted their candle and put it under a bushel. Let me take a text or I'll be talking about the city again all day. I want to go to Nehemiah too, because this is the first thing Nehemiah does. Now remember, Nehemiah's name means the comforter. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit giving us revelation as to the roadmap to Reformation. These people are coming back from captivity. They have they, 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 are, they have hung their harps on a willow tree, and they wept when they remembered Zion, but now they're about to take their harps down off of the weeping willow, and they're about to sing the song of the Lord, and they're about to sing one of the songs of Zion, because God is causing them to return. I believe there's a call of the Spirit that says, just like Haggai prophesied to them, return to me, and I'll return to you, saith God. And I believe there's a return. I believe God is calling His people to return to Him. I believe He's calling sinners to return to Him. I believe He's calling all of creation to return to me because He's already turned His heart towards us. And all we got to do is receive what He's already paid for and accomplished through His suffering and given us access through a gate called Pearl. Nehemiah comes, chapter 2, verse 13 says, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, 
and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof that were consumed with fire. The first gate that he comes to is the valley gate. A lot of stuff I'm going to say here. He could, so the first thing that he says we're going to have to get some understanding is about this valley gate. Nehemiah is surveying the condition of the city before its restoration. The roadmap for Reformation leads through the restoration of these gates. So the valley gate was built in uh, built it was it was built uh, and fortified. You can see some scripture in Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, verse nine, concerning this gate as well. But the valley gate was most likely on the southwestern side of the city, between the tower of the ovens and the dung gate. It doesn't exist today in modern-day Jerusalem. It was through the valley gate that Nehemiah left the city to inspect the wall that had been broken down and the gates who had been burned by fire. Now, I think it's interesting the names of the people who built this section and brought restoration uh, to the gates. And it was a guy by the name, let me see, it says Hanun, and the people living in Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built 1,500 feet of the wall as far as the dung gate. The meaning of the names of the man who repaired the valley gate, along with those living in Zenoa, means rejected, stinking, and it also means, that the other names mean gracious and merciful. What I think God is saying to us through this valley gate is that if you're going to leave the valley, we're going to talk a lot about valleys. We're going to talk about the valley of Baca. We're going to talk about the valley of Hinnom. We're going to talk about the valley of the shadow of I am excited to announce the release of my newest book titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread. But Jesus says to them, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door to the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear and that believing you will have life through His name you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that He is the Great I Am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today. Death, but we're going to leave those boundaries and we're going to come into the city of peace. So in order to do that, you're going to have to get rid of some stinking thinking. You're going to have to get rid of some Babylonian mindsets. You're going to have to lose your old covenant mentality because I showed you that Babylon was a picture not only of the world, but a picture of religion. I believe that this year has been 2020. I declared it would be a year of, of, of perfect vision, refocusing our vision. And I really did not realize how much that that would entail even in my own life of refocusing my vision. And I believe that as a lot of stuff has shaken in religion, and it's not church as usual. The, one of the first things the Lord said to me 
in the beginning, before this pandemic ever hit, was he said to me, uh, before it hit, he said, I, I, I was preaching a text from Deuteronomy that says, for the land whither thou goest in to possess is not like the land you came out of. And my message was, where we're headed doesn't look like we came from, where we came from. I thought I knew what I was talking about. But I don't know that I still fully understand that. But I'm going to tell you this, I do believe there's been some refocus. There's been a fresh awareness even of a lot of the stuff that we teach about eschatology and end time stuff as people are refocusing and wanting to know where they weren't interested before. And what we teach about eschatology is victorious. It's good news. It's not doom and despair. It is a time, I believe, God is refocusing us and getting our focus off of evacuation and teaching us it's about occupation. It's not about leaving here, but it's about the earth is the Lord's and taking back what belongs to us. And I think we've been in Babylon so long with so much confusion, it's time to get rid of some thinking, thinking. I think that whatever it is that's robbing your peace uh, is stinking thinking. I think a whole lot of stuff that we fear is stuff that might happen that never happens. And the enemy gets us focused on that and we stay out in the valley of Baker, for instance, or the valley of weeping, but he said, blessed is the man when passing through the valley of Baca, or which means weeping, the word Baca means weeping, passing through the valley of Baca. He maketh it a well. So right in the midst of your weeping, there is a well of living water that you can access by simply turning around, changing the way you think, and entering through a gate of pearl, a salvation that Jesus purchased for you, and enter into the city where there's peace, and there's righteousness, and there's joy, and there's victory. I believe God is challenging us right now. Even in the political arena, and I don't like to talk about politics, and so I'm not going to endorse candidates by any stretch of the imagination, but I believe there's a lot of stinking thinking that has been perpetuated through our liberal school systems teaching our children to the point where we don't even hardly, uh, we, we, we har- there's so many things that we, we just allow any longer that are robbing us of our future robbing us of right living. And the problem of it is, is whatever you believe is going to have some form of manifestation. You say, well, Brother Haas, I don't believe this certain particular thing is a sin. Well, what happens is, is when you give yourself to it and you give yourself to it, it ultimately brings you into chaos. And chaos is the end of what's not working anymore, but it's the birthplace of change. But see, you can change your mind in repentance. See, these, these uh, even 12 churches in the book of Revelation, the message, not 12 churches, I'm sorry, these seven churches in the book of Revelation, the message to them is repent. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Greek word repent is not necessarily means you need to get saved every week. The Greek word for repent is metanoia. It means to change the way you think. I believe God is challenging us to shift our stinking thinking and move it towards a gracious and merciful God who gives grace to the humble and whose mercies are new every morning. That was the the meaning of the names of the people 
who were rebuilding the city. I believe that, listen, I don't think it's an accident that we're living in a season when God is releasing the message of grace and mercy on the planet like never before. But to me, grace is not a license to sin. It is a, it, it is, it is a divine empowerment not to. Where sin abounds, that's where grace will superabound. Grace is not what causes sin. Grace is the antidote for it. It is God giving us uh, his favor and his grace, but you know, uh, you know, uh, but but once again, the grace of God, it, you know, in, in, empowers us to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. It makes you a king and a priest, and a king doesn't just, uh, you know, in the in the new covenant, we're not just talking about ruling over people. We're talking about being able to be ruler over the areas of your thinking and your own life that are bringing you into the valley of the shadow of death. They're bringing you into the valley of Hinnom where there's broken pottery in the potter's field and, and the Greek word we get for hell where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing. It leads you in, into the valley of Baca where there's weeping. My, my, listen, listen to the Holy Spirit this morning talk to you. Turn around. Head the opposite direction. Change the way you think. Begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because there's a builder on this wall called Gracious and Merciful who's moving you away from the stinking thinking of the valley uh, of Kidron and, and uh, several valleys. Let me just look at this in my notes. There were several valleys. This is the gate of the valley, leads you into the valleys. There are several valleys around Jerusalem. The Kidron Valley, the Tyropion Valley, the Hinnom Valley, the Kidron Valley, is dotted with thousands of burial sites and is known as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. The Tyropian Valley, called the Valley of the Cheesemakers, separates Mount Moriah with the Temple Mount from Mount Zion, also known as the City of David. The, the Hinnom Valley is on the south and west of Jerusalem. In Hebrew, the Hinnom is the word Gehenna. Scripture calls this place the Valley of Slaughter because of the sacrifices to Molech which took place there. Jeremiah 32 verse 35, it is most likely the valley gate led to the Valley of Hinnom. And this is where Molech cast its children into the mouth of the fire of the god Molech, where they cast their children into the fire. I believe one of the things you could certainly bring out of that in this age that we're living in is people who are sacrificing their children to the god Molech in the furnaces of abortion. And I believe that I think God is really challenging the thinking of America and turn, to turn us away from, uh, you know, the slaughter of, of, of literal, literally unborn millions of children and to shift the way we think and move back towards. And I think it also speaks of us as, as religious leaders who are always putting, preaching a message that puts people back in the fires of suffering that they don't have to suffer for because Jesus already suffered for you. In other words, your suffering and the fellowship of the suffering of Christ uh, is that He already died and suffered for us. Now there is a suffering that we've been redeemed from. We've been redeemed from sin, sickness, poverty, and death. We've been redeemed from that. Now, if you go back into sin and you go back into these things, there's suffering that occurs there, but you don't have to live there. 
You can change your stinking thinking, move into the city of the living God, and begin to move away from that kind of a thing. Because there is a suffering that we've not been redeemed from, which is, I believe, the cross that we bear. And that is when we, we suffer, when men shall revile you and hate you, and say all manner against you evil falsely. Because if they accused him, and they accuse Jesus, they're going to accuse you. So there's suffering that comes as a persecution for your stand in faith. But don't mistake that suffering and that fellowship of the suffering of Christ for suffering that's a result of your own stinking thinking. See, we think God's doing a whole lot of stuff that He's not doing to us. We blame God for stuff that God is not doing. It's not God who put sickness on me. It's not God who put death on me. You can, you can, you, you know, listen, we do stuff to destroy our health. And then we think, well, this is God putting me through something to perfect me. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the stuff you've been redeemed from. Sometimes you could avoid a whole lot of sickness by, you know, not smoking anymore, not overeating. If you've watched me over the period of years that you've been watching me, you've seen I've lost a significant amount of weight because I felt like I needed to ask the Holy Spirit to help me take control even of my diet because I think sometimes food can be addiction. You can have someone who's a smoker. If you keep on smoking, it's going to be a health issue. Somebody asked me one time, said, Brother Hiles, can I go to heaven if I smoke? I said, well, I think you can go to heaven faster if you smoke. <laughs> and that, that's funny, but it's really not funny because what happens is, is that's to me not a heaven hell issue, but it is a health issue. And it's robbing you of life and it's robbing you of your health. And so there's, and, and, and in order to do that, sometimes it takes a real paradigm shift in your mind. I've had to really renew my mind, even as it relates to weight loss and how I think, because there are principalities and principalities are not necessarily demonic spirits, but they are concepts and ideas that become ruling principles in your life that you conduct your life by. And being raised poor, I always thought it was success to have plenty to eat. And of course we had food, I'm not saying that we didn't, but, but what I'm saying is that then there's this mentality that says, well, I don't want to waste that. And, and so we eat that extra two pieces of chicken because we don't want to waste it. My son said to me one day, well, Dad, you don't have, you don't have to waste that chicken. You could put it in the refrigerator and eat it for another meal. I thought, what a strange concept. But what happened is my stinking thinking shifted, and I began to realize, wait a minute, there's some simple shifts in our thinking that will produce a quality of life in us. Those are very practical things. There's a lot of shifts you can have. I'm telling you, some folks need to shift their negative thinking, their toxic uh, constant complaints. Uh, they, they, you, you know, when you complain, uh, Asaph said in Psalm 77, you'll complain until your spirit overwhelms you. You'll get so discouraged and depressed. Do you know, uh, they, they say that, that even Crohn's disease is sometimes really exasperated by high-strung people who are OCD or driven and they're, they, they just can't seem to get peace about uh, overachieving. And most, a lot of overachievers suffer from Crohn's. What I'm trying to tell you is there's a way to shift your mind by asking the Holy Spirit to ride into your life, Nehemiah, and show you a way to move into His grace and mercy and peace. Now we're out of time on this one. 
And so we ask you to tune in again next week as we continue this series. If you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry and help us stay on the air, you can call the number that will come up on the screen. You can also go to our website and give via PayPal or credit card. And it's very simple to do. You can give uh, through PayPal with any of those. You can also set up a monthly debit if you'd like to give on a monthly basis. We need your partnership. Or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. And we ask you to pray about that and do it today. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.